All right, good evening. <laughs> let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into Revelation and maybe a little bit more. Father, thank you for uh, this evening. Thank you for bringing us together once again. We thank you for uh, this day, today, all day, for granting us the beautiful weather and, Lord, uh, the various times of fellowship. Lord, tonight, as we uh, look at your word again and consider this passage again, uh, that we looked at this morning. Please grant to us uh, your guidance and grant to us understanding. Lord, we want to, uh, we want to grasp what, what you have for us and we want to do what we've been exhorted to do here and, and be ready, be ready for uh, your coming. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, let's... Uh, Let's read chapter 16 again. I won't go back like we did this morning to uh, 15.5, but um, we'll start with chapter 16, verse 1. And then if you have, like I said this morning, if you have any questions or uh, something you'd like to comment on here, let me know, and, uh, and we'll do that too. Okay, chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple, telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went out, so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet Three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. 
And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. Okay. All right. What I did this morning, of course, and and, uh, just a, a little bit of a reminder, a little bit of recap here, is just point out that what I think is is uh, the main thing that's going on here. Of course, um, God is is letting us know that there is judgment coming upon the world, and this is the the, the final um, uh, expression of God's judgment before the end. I think is, is what is being described here, where He brings a a completion of His judgment uh, on the earth, and that leads up to the great day, um, which is mentioned. In verse 14, uh, the great day of God the Almighty, the final final showdown, the final battle, battle of Armageddon, um, and then, of course, Christ returns, and then there's the, the great judgment. So, um, I, again, I think the main thing that's happening here, um, we're getting um, reminded that God is just in executing judgment. And so we have these declarations, you know, last, last week in, uh, um, we had a doxology in chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways. And you, you see a uh, line over in chapter 16, verse 7 that, that uh, harmonizes with that. True and just are your judgments. O kings of the nations, who will not fear God? 15.4. Who will not fear, O Lord who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So notice there again, he calls God holy. You see that in 16, chapter, uh, 16 verse 5 as well. Just are you, O holy one. And then in 15, 4, he says, your righteous acts have been revealed. So the whole idea is, and we talked about this some last week as well as this morning, what God is doing is, is right. His, his actions, His works are just and right. So that's declared again in this doxology in chapter 16. Just are you, O Lord, the Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. So it's a, it's a way of saying for you are just and you are holy, for you brought these judgments. And of course, these are the righteous acts or judgments that he was speaking about back in 15.4. So you are just, you are holy, because you brought these judgments or these righteous acts. Verse 6, 16.6. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. In other words, the ones that he's pouring out his wrath on um, are deserving for for this reason. They've shed the blood of saints and prophets. So he says, you've brought these judgments because of this. They have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. So again, making the point that what God is doing is right, 
and just. Yes, verse 7, I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So, so there you have it again. Um, and, and all of that, you know, verses 15, uh, chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, and then chapter 16, verses 5 and 6. Those, those little doxologies, uh, you know, doxology is just uh, a praise. Those little doxologies are uh, uh, like, like songs. I mean, you can see probably in your Bible they've, they've changed the, the layout there because it's, it's poetry. It's poetic in, in nature. And so um, they're, they're, they're praising God by ascribing to Him um, holiness and righteousness, justness. And then, as I pointed out this morning, um, we see we see why why God's we we see a taste a, a glimpse of why His judgments are just. In other words, he, He's already said they shed the blood of saints and prophets. But you but you see the depravity of man expressed in their response to the judgments too. Um, so He's bringing judgments on the world because of sin, the sinfulness of man. And then as He's doing that. In in uh, in actions that should bring about repentance, I mean, what you would what you would expect, especially with these kinds of uh, uh, these kinds of events, um, supernatural ways of God pouring out His wrath, you would expect repentance. But instead, what we see is uh, just continued resistance. So you look in verse nine. At the end of the verse, they did not repent and give Him glory. So this is their response to his his uh, judgment, and it also helps us understand the reason for it in the first place. In other words, they deserve these things, and you see this in their response because they still won't repent and give him glory. You see it again down in verse eleven. Uh, well, I'll read ten and eleven because it's one sentence running. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. So if, if you can imagine um, pain so intense uh, that it has people gnawing their tongues, um, and yet uh, with that they're still able to curse God, and they do. They curse the God of heaven for their pain and source. In other words, they're putting the blame on him rather than um, owning up to it themselves. And it goes on to say they did not repent of their deeds. So, again, there's no, there's no repentance, there's no submission, there's no heart change. Um, they persist in, in rebellion. And then, let's see, see it again down in verse 21. Where the great hailstones, this is the seventh, seventh plague, the seventh bowl. In verse 21, great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. So again, you see why um, God's judgments come because of of rebellion, rebellion of, of man. And then uh, uh, we see that he is justified um, 
at least part of the reason we see that he is justified in doing what he's doing is because even now they, they, they persist in rebellion and, and uh, will not repent and give him glory. One thing that, that doesn't change, you know, there are all kinds of different manifestations of, of sin, but it is always, always a failure to uh, glorify God at the root of it. And it is always, because of that, it's always rebellion because we are, we are put here uh, to glorify Him. I was thinking about Romans again. I think we looked at this last week, but in, in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And uh, you go on down a little further, and he describes how they refuse to, to, uh, to glorify God. Though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 23, Romans 1.23, They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. So, uh, on and on. Then you get to Romans 3, 23, and Paul says that we're all guilty of this. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, that's why God's wrath comes now, like the... uh, like uh, Romans 1 is telling us, and that's why it is coming, um, like uh, we're seeing described here in Revelation 16, because of the, the, the extent uh, of, of the depravity of man, because man is in rebellion, and, and the extent of man's depravity uh, is, is such that he would curse God, <laughs> even when God is pouring out judgment. Pretty, pretty scary, pretty amazing. So it's not a real, like when you think about the wrath of God, it's like I uh, started out saying this morning, it's not a real fun subject. And a lot of people don't like to think about it, talk about it, and and, uh, and this and that. But um, it is part of understanding uh, that God is just and holy. And He, he will not tolerate sin. He, he provides uh, a means of escape for all, for all who will come to Christ, for all who will believe on Christ. Um, but... Apart from that, um, there is no other way of salvation. And God is just in bringing judgment, just as he says here, um, it is what they deserve. So any, any thoughts, questions, comments on any of that? Yeah, it appears so, yeah. Yeah. It, I don't know for sure. I, I don't know for sure. Um, uh, what, it um, it seems to me because I think, uh, but but you know, again, I mean, this could play out over days, could play out over months, could play out over a few years. You know, like a um, you know, we we talked earlier 
Um, we saw quite a few times where we were given a, a period of three and a half years, um, seven years, you know. People talk about the seven years of tribulation. I mean, it could play out over a few years, but it, but it seems like it's going to be... Um, uh, yes, essentially one right after the other, but I mean, but I mean, it, it, it'll it, just exactly how long that is in terms of time. Uh, you know, I don't think we know that. But uh, it, it all seems to be these, the seven bold judgments, all seem to be uh, right at the end, and they will culminate in um, you know that whole conflict comes to a head in uh, the battle of Armageddon. Which is mentioned here. It doesn't go any, into any detail about it in, in this chapter, but it's mentioned. And, and here's the thing, you know, and this is what, again, we've been talking about all along, but what, what, we've, what we've got highlighted in the book of Revelation is this struggle, conflict between the satanic kingdom, satanic forces, and the kingdom of God, the church. So, so Satan has been trying to destroy the church from the beginning. So that's nothing new. So that, I mean, that rocks on through time. Ever since the fall of, of Adam and Eve in the garden when Satan uh, was able to deceive uh, Adam and Eve and, and uh, man fell, um, he has, of course, you know, been, been trying to undo uh, God's plans and uh, destroy God's people all the way through history. Um, but it's just that here, when, when, you get, when we get to the end of the age, and things that I think we're looking at uh, at this point in the book of Revelation, um, like, like I said this morning, it just all seems to intensify. Because everything is winding down, everything's coming to a head, and God is bringing judgment. So one form of the judgment that God is bringing is by uh, giving the devil more leash. Um, and you know, and I think about that all the time in relation to our own nation. Um, we talk about the decline, the moral decline of the United States. Um, well, the only reason it's not worse than it is is grace, God's grace. I mean, God's restraining grace. And the only reason, if if it really is worse now than it was ten years ago or twenty years ago then the reason it was a little better then is because of God's restraining grace. So when he starts allowing the decline, I think that's a form of judgment. When, when he allows, just against what we see in, in, uh, in Romans 1, when he allows people to, um, to do what they desire to do in terms of evil lust, um, evil desires, uh, then that's a form of judgment. So, so you've got that, and then also just... Uh, you know, positive, positive acts of judgment, where where he is directly pouring out uh, what we see here. Now, I don't know. You know, you look at the individual bowl judgments, like for example, the first one. First angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people uh, who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. All right, there, and as I've said many times in the Book of Revelation, there's a lot of imagery here, and um, sometimes it's hard to know. Uh, what exactly we are to understand as as literally taking place, like uh, uh, you know the the sea turning to blood. Is that, that does it literally turn to blood, or or is this there just something signified here that God is doing in judgment? Um, and some of them, of course, seem more literal than others. I mean, you you know, sores on people. Um, that one's not 
hard to understand as literal for sure. Um, but then, you know, there are other, other things like 100-pound hailstones, which certainly God can do. But, but you just, uh, you, you know, we just don't know. Um, but if these are to be taken literal, then you've got some, uh, definitely some supernatural um, catastrophes going on here. I mean, this is like nothing we've ever seen. In fact, when he describes the earthquake at the pouring out of the seventh bowl, uh, he, he's very explicit about that. Uh, it was an earthquake like, there, like none other has ever been. Verse 18. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. Is that a literal earthquake, or is he just talking about, uh, sometimes in the prophetic uh, books, you know, we talk about shaking those things that can be shaken so that the things that cannot be shaken remain. So is he talking about a literal earthquake or is he talking about that, you know, where he's just um, shaking up the world, so to speak, and the, everything that people who love the world put their confidence in so that ultimately nothing's left but the kingdom of God. Um, it's hard to say, but either way, it's a time of judgment. And, and it's going to be a, a, a severe time. And I think what's taking place there, um, because like I said, I think chronologically we're at the very end. So I think what's taking place there is uh, God is destroying the old. You know, the, the, the heavens and the earth pass away, so to speak. You know, they're going to... Peter says they're going to burn with a fervent heat. So he's destroying the old, and then he's and then he does the recreation. Um, we have a new heaven and a new earth, which we're going to read about in later chapters. But I think that's part of what's happening, what's being described here in chapter 16. Let's see. A lot of times, I'm, I'm just looking at a couple of examples here. I still haven't found the main one I had in mind. But, but here's... Um, Again, this is prophetic. This is coming from Isaiah. Isaiah 13. Let's see. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay, down, and lay low the pompous pride of, of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. So that uh, that term, that kind of terminology is used sometimes just just to talk about God bringing wrath and, and shaking things up. Um, so again, that's what I want to say, is, is the earthquake in chapter 16 a, describing a literal earthquake or does it have uh, this kind of thing in mind? E- either way, it's going to be some serious shaking. <laughs> either way, it's something to be taken seriously, not, not a... Not something to be taken lightly. You've got similar language again in Matthew 24. You know, this, of course, where Jesus is talking about judgment in the end times. Matthew 24:29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Notice how it's worded there. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all 
the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And here's one of the ones I was looking for here. Let's see. In Hebrews chapter 12, and this is a quote. Somebody, look, if you would, look up uh, Psalm 102.26. Okay. So then that's talking about the the heavens and the earth. They shall perish. Look at the, maybe the verse before that. I think that again is a description of. Uh, let's see. Yeah, in verse twenty-five. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, so the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. So, there's going to be a shaking in that sense. And the writer of Hebrews picks up on that in, uh, in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12:25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And that is a quote from Haggai 2.6. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. All right, and that's what I was getting at earlier. I think you that's what we what we have here. Everything is 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 being shaken except that which cannot be shaken, which is the kingdom of God. And the only thing that will remain um is that which cannot be shaken, which is the kingdom of God. So, um you see from there and from Haggai, in fact, let me let me uh and, and from Psalm 102, Psalm 102 didn't use the term shaken, but it did talk about the, uh, the heavens and earth passing away. And Haggai 2.6, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So, um, um, the, the shaking is not ne- necessarily a, a, I mean, like I say, we see that language used in, in, in the prophecies there. It's not necessarily a literal uh, shaking. So it's possible that that's the idea behind this earthquake here. But uh, either way, even if, it's a li- if it is a, a literal um, earthquake greater than any earthquake that it ever has been, it's still going to have that, that effect <laughs> of shaking shaking up um, this world and the things of this world. 
And that's going to be part of the part of what brings that about. So everything that man has confidence in, um, and that's really what's what's key here. Everything that man has confidence in is crumbling at this point. God is God is pouring out His righteous judgments on the earth, and nobody's able to to stop that. Nobody's able to counter what He's doing effectively. They they curse Him and they refuse to repent, but but they can't launch a, a, a counterattack that will that will stop him or bring him to his knees, so to speak. It's not going to happen. So God is, is accomplishing his will, pouring out his just judgments. Everything that man um, lives for and loves and puts confidence in is, is crumbling at this point, and the only thing that is going to be left is the kingdom of God. And we're going to continue to see this play out, by the way. I know, I know a lot of times we, we read these accounts and you feel like, okay, we're at the end. Well, we are, but, but then he'll, he'll keep telling the story. <laughs> so, so the next chapter you get into the, uh, like here we had the mention of Babylon, um, chapter 16, verse 19. God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Uh, well, that's going to be described in greater detail in the next chapter, chapter 17, the, the judgment of the great prostitute and the beast. And then in chapter 18, the fall of Babylon, uh, until you get to, uh, uh, till we do get to the end in chapter 19 where Christ returns. So, a lot of these things are, these, you know, it's the same story being told and retold, reemphasized, different aspects of it getting given. But the, uh, the, again, the gist of it is that the kingdom of God prevails in the end because God prevails overall in the end. All right, we're going to have a business meeting, so let's let's take a break. Um, I'll I'll pray, and then we'll take a break and come back in about five minutes. Father, again, we thank you for your word and thank you for um, granting to us your great salvation and granting to us understanding. Uh, of these things, that we may grow in your grace, that we may grow in the knowledge of you, and that we may be um, about your business, doing what is pleasing to you, all for your honor and glory. We thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen.